Welcome to the Academy Tech Talk. My name is Angie, and I want to welcome you to a very special episode as we re-release our 2020 Christmas Carol radio play starring Tom Fulton and the classes of 2021 and 2022. Happy Holidays from the Academy for the Performing Arts. Scrooge was taken with a violent fit of trembling. No ghost appeared. Five minutes? Ten minutes? A quarter of an hour went by, yet nothing came. Then, as he lay upon his bed, a blaze of ruddy light streamed into his bedroom. He got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. The moment Scrooge's hand was on the lock, a strange voice called him by his name and bade him enter. Scrooge! Ebenezer Scrooge! Come in here, you funny little man. Scrooge obeyed. It was his own room. There was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and the ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove. The crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe, and ivy reflected back the light as if so many little mirrors had been scattered there. And a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney. In an easy state upon this couch, there sat a jolly giantess glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn, and held it up, high up, to shed its light upon Scrooge as he came peeping round the door. Come in, come in, and know me better, man. Scrooge entered timidly and hung his head before the spirit. I am the ghost of Christmas present, Look upon me. Scrooge reverently did so. The spirit, a woman, or so it seemed to Scrooge, was clothed in one simple green robe or mantle bordered with white fur. And on her head, she wore no other covering than a holly wreath. Her dark brown curls were long and free, free as her genial, even pleasant, smiling face. You have never seen the like of me before. Never. I've never walked forth with the younger members of my family, meaning, for I am very young. My elder sister's born in these later years. I am afraid I have not. Have you had many sisters, Spirit? More than 1,800. A tremendous family to provide for. Spirit, conduct me where you will. 
I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learnt a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told and held fast. All vanished instantly. So did the room, the fire, the ruddy glow, the hour of night. And they stood in the city streets on Christmas morning. He led him straight to Scrooge's clerks. And on the threshold of the door, the spirit smiled and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with the sprinkling of her torch. Then up rose Mrs. Cratchit, Cratchit's wife, dressed out but poorly in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons. And she laid the cloth, assisted by Belinda Cratchit, second of her daughters, also brave in ribbons, while Master Peter Cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes, and now the two smaller Cratchits, boy and girl, came tearing in, screaming that outside the bakers they had smelt the goose and had known it for their own. <laughs> These young Cratchits danced about the table and exalted Master Peter Cratchit to the skies while he blew the fire until the slow potatoes bubbling up knocked loudly at the saucepan lid to be let out and peeled. What has ever got your precious father, then? And your brother, Tiny Tim. And Martha wants his late last Christmas Day by half an hour. Here's Martha, Martha, Martha. she's home. Hurrah, there's such a goose, Martha. Why, bless your heart alive, my dear. How late you are. We had a deal of work to finish up last night and had to clear all the way this morning, Mother. Well, never mind, so long as you are come. Sit you down before the fire, my dear, and have a warm. Lord bless ye. Here's Father coming. And in came little Bob. The father, with at least three feet of comforter exclusive of the fringe hanging down before him, and his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas, for tiny Tim, he bore a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. And how did little Tim behave? Oh, as good as gold and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful, sitting by himself so much. Thinks the strangest things you've ever heard. He told me, coming home, that he hoped people saw him in the church, because he was a cripple. And it might be pleasant for them to remember upon Christmas Day, who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. I believe he's growing stronger and heartier every day. Peter hoisted Tiny Tim high and placed him carefully on the floor where his active little crutch was heard upon the wooden planks. Matthew and Sister Lucy to his stool before the fire, and while Bob, turning up his cuffs, compounded some hot mixture in a jug with gin and lemons and stirred it round and round and put it on the hob to simmer. Master Peter and the two ubiquitous young Cratchits went to fetch the goose, which they soon returned in high profession. Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat. Please put a penny in the old man's hat. Such a bustle ensued that you might have thought the goose was the rarest of all birds. Mrs. Cratchit made the gravy hissing hot. Master Peter mashed the potatoes with incredible vigor. 
Miss Belinda sweetened up the applesauce. Martha dusted the hot plates. Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner of the table. The two young Cratchits set chairs for everybody, not forgetting themselves, and crammed spoons into their mouths, lest they should shriek for goose before their turn came to be helped. At last, the dishes were set on, and grace was said. For what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. Amen. It was succeeded by a breathless pause. As Mrs. Cratchit, looking slowly all along the carving knife, prepared to plunge it into the breast. But when she did, and when the long-expected gush of stuffing issued forth, one murmur of delight arose around the board, and even Tiny Tim, excited by the two young Cratchits, beat on the table with the handle of his knife and feebly cried, Hurrah! Why, Mrs. Cratchit, what a goose! Why, there's never been such a goose! Oh, and the applesauce and mashed potatoes. Why, it's a meal fit for a king. Why, thank you, Bob. I only hope it is a sufficient dinner for the whole family. Yet everyone had enough. And the young Cratchits in particular were steeped in sage and onion to the eyebrows. But now, the plates being changed by Miss Belinda, Mrs. Cratchit left the room alone to take the pudding up and bring it in. Hello. A great deal of steam. The pudding was out of the copper. A smell like washing day. That was the cloth. A smell like an eating house and a pastry cook's next door to each other. With a laundress's next to that. <laughs> that was the pudding. Oh, a wonderful pudding. I regard this, Mrs. Cratchit, as the greatest success achieved since our marriage. Well, that's a great weight off my mind, Mr. Cratchit. I confess I had my doubts about the quantity of flour. I'm afraid it's rather small. Small? Oh, my dear, this delicious pudding is not all a small pudding. Look, it's quite big enough to feed the entire Cratchit line. Why, I won't hear of it. It's flat heresy. At last, the dinner was all done. The cloth was cleared. The hearth swept and the fire made up, the compound in the jug being tasted and considered perfect. Apples and oranges were put up on the tables and a shovelful of chestnuts on the fire. Then all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth, and at Bob Cratchit's elbow stood the family display of glass. My dear, our two Christmas tumblers, from that glorious day when we were wed... And, of course, our lucky custard cup. Let be because it has no handle. Which I believe you broke. Very true, my dear, but it was a lucky break. These held the hot stuff from the jug. However, as well as the golden goblets would have done, and Bob served it out with beaming looks while the chestnuts on the fire sputtered and cracked noisily. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us. God bless us, everyone. He sat very close to his father's side, upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand in his, as if he 
loved the child and wished to keep him by his side and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Spirit, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, oh no, kind spirit, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race will find him here. What then? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge bent before the ghost's rebuke, and trembling cast his eyes upon the ground. But he raised them speedily upon hearing his own name. Mr. Scrooge! I give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. Founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, the children... Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day. I'm sure on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, odd, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you do, poor fellow. My dear, Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake and the days. Not for his... Long life to him! A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. It'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. The entire family raised their glasses with grim determination. Mr. Scrooge. Scrooge was the ogre of the family. The mention of his name cast a dark shadow on the party, which was not dispelled for a full five. Minutes. Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets to a far better part of town. It was a great surprise to Scrooge, while thus engaged, to hear a hearty laugh. It was a much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognize it as his own nephew's, and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room, with the spirit standing smiling by his side and looking at that same nephew with approving affability. (laughs) He said that Christmas was a humbug, as I live. He believed it, too. (laughs) More shame for him, Fred. Oh, she is very pretty, exceedingly pretty. And she has dimples and a ripe little mouth just waiting to be kissed. He's a comical old fellow, that's the truth. And not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offences carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. I'm sure he is very rich, Fred. At least you always tell me so. You wouldn't know about what he plays his clock. Poor fellow. What of that, my dear? His wealth is of no use to him. He don't do any good with it. He don't make himself comfortable with it. He hasn't the satisfaction of thinking... And he is ever going to benefit us with it. I have no patience with him. Oh, I have. I am sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Here he takes it into his head to dislike us. And he won't come and dine with us. 
What's the consequence? You don't lose much of a dinner. Indeed, I think he loses a very good dinner. Well, I'm very glad to hear it. Because I haven't great faith in these young housekeepers. What do you say, Topper? Topper had clearly got his eye on one of Scrooge's niece's sisters. For he answered that... A bachelor is a wretched outcast. And I have no right to express an opinion on the subject. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas Scrooge's niece's sister, the plump one with the lace tucker, not the one with the roses, burst out laughing. (laughs) I would go as far as to say, Mr. Topper, that you have a great many opinions that should be kept to yourself. (laughs) Oh, Miss Judy, I am mortified and certainly obtunded. Yet I must say, you look exceptionally Christmassy today, all wrapped up like a present. (laughs) You see, another perfect example of a nightingale that doesn't know when to stop singing. Fetch me a punch, will you, Mr. Topper? With the greatest of pleasure. My lips are sealed and my legs obey your every wish. Coming up, punch for duty! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, these children. Do go on, Fred. He never finishes what he begins to say. He is such a ridiculous fellow. (laughs) I was only going to say that the consequence of Uncle Scrooge taking a disliking to us and not making merry with us is, as I think, that he loses some pleasant moments, which could do him no harm. And I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. He may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it. I defy him. If he finds me going there, in good temper, year after year, and saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? If it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk 50 pounds, that's something. And I think I shook him yesterday. Fred, let's do a game. A game of yes and no. Here's how it works. Fred has to think of something, and the rest of us must find out what. He only may answer... Yes or no? My time grows short. Take my robe. Uh, no, spirit. Here's a new game. One half hour, spirit. Only one. Do you have something, Fred? I do. I'll start. Is it a vegetable? No. A mineral? No. It's an animal. Oh, good question. Yes. It must be an elephant. A disagreeable animal? Mm, yes. <gasps> a raccoon. A vulture. A savage animal? Uh... No. An animal that growls and grunts sometimes. Oh, yes. Answer that, nephew. Does it growl and grunt? Does it walk about the streets? Yes, most certainly. Does it live in London? Does it live in a menagerie? No! (laughs) Is it a horse? Or a cow or a bull or a tiger? No, no, no! A dog? A bear? No, not a bear. Is it an ass? Well... uh, Yes... Did you hear that, spirit? It's an ass! <laughs> I've found it out! I know what it is, Fred! I know what it is! Oh, you do? Hoorah! What is it? It's your Uncle Scrooge! <laughs> oh, dear. That hits me right in the funny bone. Well done, Miss Judy. Yes! My Uncle Scrooge! <laughs> now, look here, Freddy boy. Your reply to my question, is it a bear, ought to been a yes. You abstracted me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's certainly not a bear. But he has given us plenty of merriment, I am sure. And it would be ungrateful not to drink his health. 
Here is a glass of mulled wine ready to our hand at the moment, and I say, Uncle Scrooge! Uncle Scrooge! A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man, whatever he is. He wouldn't take it from me, but may he have it nevertheless, and I raise my glass. Uncle Scrooge! If the ghost had given him time, Scrooge would have happily stayed. But the whole scene passed off in the breath of the last words spoken by his nephew, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. It was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older. Clearly older. Scrooge had observed this change, but never spoke of it, until they were alone in the frozen street. Are spirits' lives so short? My life upon this globe is very brief. It ends tonight. Tonight? Tonight at midnight. Hark! The time is drawing near. The chimes were ringing the three quarters past eleven at that moment. Spirits, I see something strange and not belonging to yourself, uh, protruding from your skirts. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw, or the flesh there is upon it. Look here. From the foldings of its robe, it brought forth two children. Wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at his feet and clung upon the outside of his garment. Oh, man, look here. Look Look, down here. They were a boy and a girl. Yellow, meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish. A graceful youth should have touched them with its freshest tints. A stale and shriveled hand, like that of age, had pinched and twisted them, pulling them into shreds, where angels might have sat enthroned, Devils lurked and glared out menacingly. Scrooge started back, appalled. Spirits, are they yours? They are man's, and they cling to me, appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware them both and all of their degree. But most of all, beware this boy. For on his brow I see that written which is doom, unless the writing be erased. Have they no refuge or resource? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, He remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley, and lifting up his eyes beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him.